it's amazing that Jesus is at this at this uh, dinner. He's been invited by a Pharisee, and this is in verse 37. And so he went and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee, it says, was surprised. We notice that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Apparently, Jesus wasn't much into hygiene. Uh, and as a dinner guest, he was really a rather lousy one. This happened earlier in, in Luke's gospel where a Pharisee invites him in and Jesus tells a story and basically insults the, insults the host. Well, here we go again. He just uh, was uh, so fearless and so bold about being honest about what was going on. And again, I think part of that, I'm being a little bit facetious, is because he understood their motives, the motives of those who were inviting him in. And he does not shy away from confrontation with that. I've borrowed a number of thoughts for this uh, message from Brian Evans. And I might say at the forefront, maybe the parts of the message aren't the easiest to listen to. Okay, because this is a, there is a lot of woes in this passage, but I pray it might uh, be helpful, and I'll just be kind of bam, bam, bam as I go through it this morning. The, the, the Pharisees, you see, had developed a very complicated and ritualistic way of living, and uh, and one of the things was washing their hands before dinner. They poured water on one hand with a pitcher, and then they took the pitcher in the other hand, poured water on the other hand, and here's the irony often the water itself was not clean, okay? Uh, the, it was simply this made-up tradition and later developed in such, into such a formal act that a servant would pour the water because if you touched the handle on the container, then you made yourself unclean. You see what I'm trying to get at? They added all of these man-made rules, and Jesus wasn't into playing their game. He knew that too often when rules and man-made rules are added to God's word, what happens is that the traditions become the standards rather than the word of God being the standards. And that's dangerous. And that's dangerous for lots of church traditions, ours included. The Pharisees' man-made traditions had become so dominating that the Pharisee immediately judges Jesus. And I want to say it this way. It is uh, no wonder that people like Richard Dawkins, an atheist, or many, un many other unbelievers call out the dangers of religion. That has been a very, very popular and understandable theme particularly in the next last 10 or 15 or 20 years, the dangers of religion. And many of the growing nuns and duns in this country are a product of saying no to toxic religion. I don't know why I get it, but I, for some reason it keeps popping up on my Twitter feed, and I see all of the, 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 the basically the backlash and I don't look for long because I just can't stand to look for very long. But how much is going on within what I would call evangelical or Bible-based churches all over this country where there's just this massive clash uh, for on a lot of different levels. And on a lot of levels, we might see that the religion of that particular church or the leadership of that church is toxic. 
and it is a problem. But what's interesting about this passage is that the Bible is amazingly self-disclosing. It's honest about religion. You don't have to convince the Bible about bad or toxic religion or, or convince Jesus about it. He's telling us about it. So from this encounter, I've put together some thoughts. And again, uh, I'm calling this putting your religion to the test. And I'm asking each one of us to look at ourselves and do a little bit of self-probing and self-examination as we go through it. And our Pharisee judging Jesus' hand-washing leads to the very first test, and that is, it. and I'm not, I decided at first I went through and put these as yes or no, like, do I have this or not have this? And I said, yeah, we all have this. The problem, the what, so I, I rephrased it, and I'll put my first one up there in this way. In what ways do you pass judgment on others using your own standards? I'll put this up as one final slide with all of this on here. And if you, if you want to take pictures as you go along and get all these, those are fine. If you want to ask me for the notes later, if you're a small group leader in a small group, you'll get them that way. There's a number of ways that we can look at this. Uh, but I want you to get this because we're not, not going to delve into all the applications of this this morning. Way too much in our text. And I didn't want to stay in this section too long. It was such a, such a brutal uh, and honest section. But, uh, but this question, what ways do you pass judgment on others? Well, then the Lord goes on to say to the Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, or you do that, but you're inside, you're full of greed and wickedness. And I don't know which one of us could say, oh, yeah, that doesn't apply to me. And then he says, you foolish people did not the one who made the outside make the inside also. But now, as for what is inside you, now get this, here's the response, be generous to the poor. I don't know that that's my, that's my impulse, but that's my response. So I've got to look on the inside here, and, 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 and everything will be clean for you. What? What's Jesus even saying? He may have been referencing the actual cup and dish where the hand washing was done. That might be the case. Or maybe the hand washing bowl was shiny and clean, but the water in it was filthy. But again, how ironic that the Pharisees are making a big deal out of hand washing when going through this uh, ritual would have left their hands dirty. But deeper than that, Jesus sees their greed and the wickedness, the inside and the outside, or what, or what the message calls secret people. They're, they're preoccupied with this hand washing, and inside their hearts are filthy. And he ties it to stinginess and a lack of generosity. Starts to hit home a little bit, doesn't it? Now the message challenges us this way in this section. Didn't the one who made the outside also make the inside? Turn both your pockets and your hearts inside out and give generously to the poor. Then your lives will be clean. 
not just your dishes and your hands. Question, in what ways do you focus on outer appearances? This is number two in the back there. Often ignoring the All right, let's continue on. There's only seven of them. Mark through two. <laughs> hey, it was Jesus' sermon, right? I'm just repeating what he said. He says, you Pharisees, you give a tenth. You give a tenth out of your garden. You get a tenth of your herb, some of your mint, some of your rue. That's good. But you neglect justice. And the love of God. And we even hear a word like justice and we get start to get uncomfortable. And yet Jesus is saying it's great. We should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Imagine tending your own garden with great care and pruning and preparing and then cutting a tenth of the mint and the spices and it's and that's fantastic but all the while you're attending for the, the garden you have no real concern for people and as difficult as gardening is sometimes it is so much easier than coming alongside another human advocate for them. Sometimes we just want to trim God down and trim down what he expects of us. I think we do this because we want to be able to manage our own religion. Much like those Pharisees. So the question is, in what ways does your religion major in minors what ways is your religion major then he says you pharisees woe to you because you want the most important seats in the synagogue and respectful greetings in the marketplace and it is nice to be recognized it's nice when we come in on sunday morning and it and it recognize one another it's such a important part of who we are it's, it, it, it's great to have others speak well of you and respect you. However, fundamentally, whose approval do you seek? Again, Jesus' audience missed the mark. And then our problem might be a little different. Maybe it's not quite as showy and we don't have quite the need that these Pharisees seem to have to be known in the marketplace. And yet the question is still worthy of raising. In what ways do you seek the approval of others? Other men? Other women? Or society itself? Over God. Jesus continues on, woe to you because you are like unmarked graves. Now what is he talking about? Which people walk over without knowing it. You see, the Pharisees had a project. 
in the territory surrounding Jerusalem, they were trying to mark all of the unmarked graves. And the book of Leviticus is clear that to touch a dead animal or a dead person was to become unclean. That was in the Old Testament law. But the Pharisees added to the law by saying this, to walk over someone's grave was to become unclean. And so all over the city, people were accidentally walking over graves and then being told they were now unclean and they couldn't participate in community and the community life. So Jesus is saying, because of you, they are being driven away from God. You guys are like a disease that infects other people with your bad religion. So the probing question becomes, in what ways is your life marked? Well, it shifted the audience just a bit. We were at the dinner table, and one of the experts in the law said, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, Well, you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. I don't know about you, but many of us have been part of churches where we have felt like we were loaded down with the burden from church life. Maybe it was sort of a requirement of evangelism as a duty rather than an opportunity. Maybe it was church-related stuff many, many nights of the week that became more burdensome than helpful. Maybe it was the expectation of leadership duties where everything fell on you. Religion can be heavy. And I get why Jesus is saying this teaching can be oppressive. At times, I know I, as a leader, have loaded down members of the congregation with this burdensome religion. And maybe at times confuse discipleship, which is costly, with the burden of religion. Sometimes it's hard to discern the difference. But in these cases, it's not the words of God but the words of men that is the problem. The requirements, the requests, the invitations, the opportunity, the ask, need to come from God. Not from teachers and leaders that go beyond or mismanage God's words. At least the number Six, in what ways do you make faith more burdensome for others 
than God intends. One more. Jesus says, woe to you. You build tombs for the prophets, and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Confusing section of scripture in a bit, ways as well. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. And then he says, therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation, meaning the generation of Jesus, will be held responsible for it all. That's an interesting section. Jesus is addressing... Those who would honor the prophets that had died before. And basically, I think what Jesus is saying is that, is that you Pharisees and teachers of the law, as you honor those prophets who had died, it was all for show. So in reality, you're just like your forefathers, many of whom rejected the prophets' teaching. And then I think verses 50 and 51 are somewhat stunning, stunning, almost incomprehensible. In other words, he says all the problems of the generations past, you approving of what your forefathers did, you are now responsible for every bit of their mistreatment and of the prophets in previous times. I'll let you read it again this week and think about it, but I think it has some implications as we face ourselves and sometimes as we try to excuse ourselves even for things that have happened in previous generations. Number seven, Jesus says it this way. In what ways are you projecting a spirituality that you really do not? All right, is everybody in a bruised stupor at this point? Seven of these. Jesus, come on. I'm going to offer an alternative in just a moment. But I want to put all seven of them back up there. I think I have one slide. I don't even know if you can see that. All right, just get, if you get the first six points and apply those, I'll give you a pass on the seven, okay? Since we can't read that. In what ways do you pass judgment on others using your own standards? In what ways do you focus on the outside, on appearances, often ignoring the inside? In what ways do you major in minors? In what ways do you seek the approval of men over God? In what ways is your life marked by hypocrisy? In what ways do you make faith for others more burdensome than God intends? And then finally, number seven, in what ways are you projecting a spirituality 
that you do not have. All right, before we go on, can anybody see themselves here in this list? We got some head nodding. No one, only one will dare put up his hand. He's back there in the back. Okay, great. Thank you. Jesus says to the experts in the law, you've taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who are entering. And then when he went outside, no wonder the Pharisees and teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to beseech him. Waiting to catch him. Something he might say. I wonder how the dinner turned out. There's no real evidence that there a lot of eating happened, but may, maybe it did. I'm not sure if anyone finished or if they all lost their appetite, both host and guests. Well, I don't know how any of us this morning can claim an exemption from seeing ourselves in these seven areas. We're all guilty. But Terry's already helped us in the communion to remember the way forward. The way forward is why Jesus came. The way forward is the gospel story that's larger than the commands and rules that we cannot keep. The way forward is bigger and larger and better and truer and safer and more beautiful than any toxic religion. Fundamentally, what Jesus knows is that the kingdom of God is based entirely on a platform of grace. God's unearned gifts bestowed upon us in Christ rather than a religion of performance and duties. And I don't mean cheap grace, but a costly grace where being loved by God is foremost in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your body. Where you recognize that Jesus sacrificially died for us. For you. For this church. For this community. And loving both God and others deeply as Jesus did and still does. is the only remedy. For both the religious 
and the irreligious. Blessed be our God.